everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. It's Kat, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, everyone. How are you? Hey, Matt. It's um, a really exciting episode that we have today. Um, I can't wait to hear the backstories of this person. It's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, reading over some of the stuff, it... Uh... He's definitely got an interesting uh, group of stories to share, for sure. Well, you know, it's like, um, in a way, it's almost, you know, how I am, like, it's about the universe sending us this person, because, so I'm going to tell you, because I, you know, I'm a fan of Kevin Costner's, um, as an actor. I had no idea, so, I mean... You could say, well, you're not a really big fan because you didn't know this. But I did not know that he was a singer and had a band. Um, I, don't you know, think, I did not. I don't think I knew that either. Okay, so now you know. And I know this only uh, because I saw in Corbin, um, you know, that's our neighboring city, right. my neighboring city. Yeah. Uh, at the arena, it had an advertising <laughs> that said, you know, Kevin Costner and, and his band <laughs> were coming there October 30th. And I was like, you know, I did not know. Like, what does he sing? Um, you know, I, I just didn't know that. And guess what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Our guest today has a connection to that. And so... You know, it's just it like is a puzzle and putting additional pieces together for me. So I'm really excited to introduce our guest and hear everything that has transpired in his lifetime. Just some really fascinating backstories. So uh, let's just get right into the interview. Jack Williams, I want to welcome you to Backstory Sessions. I cannot wait to hear all the things you're going to tell us today oh i'm glad to be here that's exciting it's exciting it really is exciting uh i mean i know you've lived this life but to get to um share it and let us hear it uh in our listeners is uh, we're just really honored so you know um when we get a guest we start thinking about reading over, researching, that kind of thing. But one thing that stuck out to me uh, was it said that you credit yourself as being equal parts of luck, talent, and tenacity. So uh, how did you come up with those three words? Had a little help, I think. <laughs> I had a little help. I mean, I think I, I, I know, I know I am all those things, but um, finding those words, uh, I think Gary Hurts uh, probably helped me with that. But, you know, I, I it is all that. It is all that. I mean, I've been doing this. God, I've been doing this since 1973 and, and, and nonstop. And, and um, it seems like I, I, I uh, every, uh, every week is a new thing coming up now. And it's exciting. It's like, I really should be out fishing on a lake somewhere, but um, <laughs> the, uh, the, it, it, I can't stop doing what I'm doing because now it's getting really exciting. And I've said that probably about 10 times in my life. Oh, no, it's getting really exciting. But now it really is getting really exciting. So, um, well, I mean, so you, you attribute these to be um, equal things. So you, you think that you've had this, you know, uh, this amount of luck, this amount of talent, and this amount of tenacity, and, and that all of those are kind of equal um, things that have caused, uh, you know, these good things to happen to you. I and, think every step of the way. 
Yeah, well, um, so I have pulled out some things that I thought were interesting. And if you could just like give us the backstory and, and kind of how luck and talent and tenacity, I mean, some of it will be really obvious, like this first one. Okay. So you're the person that you're in Atlanta. So we'll go back to you are working as a chef in Atlanta and you're moonlighting as a roadie. And so Richie Havens, um, tell us this story because it's fascinating to me. It definitely shows tenacity. Um, You know, how, how do you encounter him? Uh, well, I went to the show, and um, and uh, I had um, I had befriended uh, um, a local promoter there, and he had he had liked what I was doing, and he liked my attitude, and he liked my music, and I was still really green, really, really just a beginner in this whole thing. But but um, he 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 just gave me free. He just gave me a backstage pass and said, look, you know, handle yourself right and 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 I'll never take it away from you. Handle yourself wrong and you'll never come back. So but, yeah, but you know, just use good manners. And and so I would go to shows and but the Richie Havens show, I was there, but I met him backstage and and and, and we briefly talked because Richie was Richie was the most friendliest and most accessible person I've ever known. And 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 he, we talked and I told him I was a songwriter and I would love to play him a song and you know and and again i mean things that people don't do anymore but you know i'm staying at the such and such hotel and i'm in room what such and such and you know come on over after the show i'll be up i mean and play some play your song to me and 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 of course i did but you know i got there midnight i mean show ended at 11 he got there 11 30 quarter 12 i saw him go in and i waited you know 30 minutes and I knocked on the door and I could hear him in there. I could hear music. I could hear talking, but no answer, you know, <laughs> 45, no answer. Tap, tap, tap. One o'clock in the morning. No answer. I think it's about two 30 in the morning. He finally opened the door and he said, yes, you are persistent <laughs> and come on in. And the rest is history. I mean, we, 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 um, became the closest of friends he he mentored me he taught me how to be a an artist he taught me how to be a person he taught me how to play in front of people he taught me he just taught me so many things and um and we just became so close to that relationship but that was luck tenacity and talent because i was lucky that i had that you know that i had that um backstage pass and you know and the fact that i didn't stop knocking when probably most people would have given up after two hours. I, I didn't. Yes. <laughs> but you know, I was only, God, man, I was only like 22, 23 years old. I was, I was full of, I, well, I still have as much fire as I did then with that comes to that, but I just, maybe I might not knock three hours now (laughs) it's 10 minutes i'm going home i'm tired (laughs) i don't know if i do that but i know that i might i might i might um i might wait downstairs on the couch you know what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) well and i understand that you you give him a cassette tape so uh you took it with him in new york and um um he told me that, you know, he'd listen to it and get back with me. He did. And he said, why don't you come up here and let me see if I can help you get a get, get a little publishing thing going. And so, um, you know, just like you hear of the old days of people, I mean, I took everything. I had a wife and a, and a um, six-month-old baby. I think she was about six months, seven months or something like that. And I... I took all our rent money. I took everything we had, and I and and, and le- except some grocery money, and I I hopped on a on a bus and went to New York City with everything with, with all the dreams of of you know oh this is it you know I'm gonna become the biggest star ever and and no worries we won't have to worry about nothing and and uh, so we we devised the plan Richie devised the plan and he gave me like ten numbers to call 
Oh, people like Clive Davis, people, I mean, just big people, and just said, you know, call him up and see if you can make an appointment with him and bring him. So back in those days, it was pretty accessible. You could do that. You could not like it is now, but back then you could. And so I got an appointment with everybody the next day and walked in, and everybody threw me out. <laughs> um, I mean, literally, literally, Clive Davis actually looked at me and said, what do you call this? Oh, I mean, what do you call this a song? He said, and he actually pulled a demo of Barry Manilow out, who was one of his writers at the time, and um, and he said, let me let me play you what a, a songwriter play writes, and he you know embarrassed me, put me to tears. Wow. So I came back to Richie, you know, and I was like, oh God, man, and Richie like didn't blink an eye, but no problem, we'll fix this, and you'll learn a lesson in the meantime. And that night we went down to his studio and he took the same song that I'd taken in and he sat down and he recorded it with just him and his guitar and his um, and his guitar player and did a, like an exotic guitar vocal demo of it. And, and he said, call them all back tomorrow and tell them that Richie Havens did a demo of your song and see what happens. And I did. And the first person walked back in and Clive, Clive took the song and gave me $500 advance on it. And um, oh my gosh, wow! And it never did anything, of course. But the, when I got back, Richie said, "So what's the lesson learned here?" And I went, "It's who you know." <laughs> Exactamundo. <laughs> and I went, "Yeah." <coughs> That's funny. So um, then, did you leave New York? At that point, yeah, I came back because I got you know I was able to bring home the money that I'd taken. And yeah, I came back home and, and and continued on here. Yeah, at that point, I didn't go up there. I didn't stay up there at that point. And I came back home, and that's it. Was right after that when I met the Who, and then my career really kicked off. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about that because here again is one of the things I wrote down that luck, talent, tenacity uh, it, that I find it interesting in this story. So again, you are working in Atlanta as a chef. And you're moonlighting. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I wasn't uh, moonlighting working. then. No, I wasn't then. I was working as, I was working as a chef. I was a sous chef at a place called the Abbey, which is still there to, as we speak. And and the promoter, the promoter's name was Alex Cooley. And Alex Cooley was the biggest promoter in in the Southeast. He 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 was a great man. He had a couple big joints in the Atlanta Alex Cooley Ballroom. He had uh, he had the place next to it, uh, Hotlanta. That's where Skinner broke that's where Skinner broke out of was a place called Hotlanta right. and um and and I had a backstage pass to every that he he'd give me a backstage pass and I had whatever I wanted but this particular day I was on my way to work and I was all dressed up in my chef's clothes because the abbey is a I don't know if you've ever been to the abbey or heard of it but it's a really high it's an old monastery monk place kind of church and it's a like a three-star restaurant and and I, you know, I was dressed to the nines. I had my chef's clothes on and everything. And but I went by the hotel and there was all these guys with all these guys with blue 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 tour jackets on. But back in those days, it, they weren't like tour jackets. Now they were like they were like baseball jackets. And on the back it said the Who. And so I just turned in, took my hat off, grabbed a cassette, and walked up to the first guy I saw. Just right up to the first guy I saw, and I said, "Hey." Um, my name's Jack. And he said, my name's Doug. How you doing, mate? And I went, good. And he went, what can I do for you? And I went, what's the chances of meeting Roger Daltrey? <laughs> wow. he, said, he said, slim and none. And I said, <laughs> okay, all right. I got to get to work. And I turned around and he went, wait a minute. Wait, but what do you want to meet him for? And I went, well, I'm a songwriter and I, I just like to see if he'd take a minute to listen to my songs. He said, well, wait a minute. He loves songwriters. And he said, hang on. And he said, let, let, let me make a call. He went in there and picked up the lobby phone and called Roger and said, I got a songwriter down here who wants to meet you and blah, blah, blah. And Roger said, well, he was really busy. He was doing interviews. He was doing this. He was doing that. He said, but uh, get him a room. And he said, and, and, and hang with him and, and just have him hang out. And when we get a minute, we'll, we'll catch up. And so... Oh well, I'm not going to work today. <laughs> um, and a, a room was got, and um, then I said, "Well, Doug, uh, I 
can't go to the show in my chef's clothes. I got to get home. Let, let me drive home and change clothes and maybe get a babysitter and get my wife and we can come to the show. Okay, but let's just take you home in the limo so we get you back here. You know, try, and, okay. All right, so I jumped <laughs> in the limo with him and I was living in um, Stone Mountain Apartments in Atlanta. And uh, we pulled up and my wife came out, you could, you know, I lived on a balcony apartment and she came out holding my daughter in her arms and looked down at the limo and she said, why ain't you at work? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, because uh, we're going to see the who tonight. She said, we are not going to, you better go to work. And I went, I'm not going to work. And I went in and changed clothes. And of course we were fighting all the way through it and all the way out of it. And I jumped back in the limousine and went, you know, back then it didn't matter. <laughs> back then it didn't matter. I mean, I was I was with the who by God, and it didn't matter nothing. But you know, yeah. it would matter now. But but it didn't matter then. And and um, well, the show went on, and I was backstage, and I I never got to see the show. I never got to meet Roger. I never got to meet Pete. I never got to meet anybody that day. And they were busy, busy, busy. And they said. Have him spend the night. We'll catch up with him tomorrow. And so I did. I didn't even go home. And uh, and the party started. And um, three days later, <laughs> I was on my way to Chicago. That's and awesome. fired. And fired. <laughs> A week later, I was on my way to Detroit. A week later, I was on... And, you know, this turned into like two months. And... Two months later, finally in Boston, I had still never seen the show. I was just backstage and in the hotel, New York, Madison Square Garden, you know. And then finally in Boston. Um, so did you quit your job? Um, I was fired. I, I was wondering how that worked out. That's what and I just said. I was fired. Done fired. Gone. And and your wife? Um I'm ready to kill me. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and, um, but I was having a good time. I didn't care. Um, I mean, I was 22 years old rocking and rolling with the who, you know, I mean, yeah. give me a break. I mean, but you know, I mean, right. And, and when I say, when I say we were rocking and rolling, all the stories that you've heard were true. Yeah. And, um, and, um, we had a lot of fun. And so, uh, then in Boston, um, Bill Curbishley, the manager, who's one of the world world's him and Peter Rudge and and um, Peter um, Peter Grant, who managed Zeppelin, Peter Rudge managed the Rolling Stones, and Bill Curbishley managed the Who, were the three biggest managers in the world. And um, he came up to me and he went, um, "Why don't you come out and see the show?" And I went, "Oh!" And they put me right in the sound booth and i had never i mean i mean the the who shook the world i mean they they were the greatest rock and roll band ever and and they shook the world and and then then he said okay well um the guys want to see you and i went into this private little room and daltrey and townsend were sitting there and townsend handed me an acoustic guitar i thought they were going to listen to my cassette there was a demo that i had paid money for to make it sound good because at that time I didn't think I could sing with a dying. And they said, sing us a couple songs, mate. And there was <laughs> Playboy fold out bunnies in there. There were the most beautiful women in the world in there. There was everything that could make you just nervous as heck. And I stumbled through a couple of them. And I mean, I mean, they were bad. And they pulled out a contract and they signed me. Wow. For a year. Wow. And Pete said, I'll be taking over. He said, I'll be, I'm, you know, about every three or four weeks, uh, Send me what you got. I'm going to critique it, send it back to you, and we'll work that way. I'm not going to say that the Who's ever going to record any of your songs, but we will, we will, we will, we will, if we don't do anything else, we'll teach you how to be a great songwriter. And that's what that year was. It was nothing but learning and, and, um, and being part of that and, and, and being with them. So that wow. was, that was, uh, that was that. And did you move to London? Not then. I, this is coming. Okay. So so after that, right when the contract was getting ready to end, when I saw it coming to an end, um, my next hero came to town in Atlanta, and that was Ken Hensley with Uriah Heep. And Ken Hensley at the time was my favorite songwriter in the world, 
and because uh, I was really into heavy rock and and I, and of all the rock bands, I mean, he was the one. He was the one that was a songwriter. I mean, Zeppelin, you know, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, they did great, great, great music, but neither one of them called themselves a songwriter. I mean, and 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 none of the rock bands, nobody ever said, "I am the songwriter of this band." But Ken Hensley did. He he is. I am the chief songwriter of Uriah Heep and. And I was just everything that they did. I was just in love with, and so again, I did the same thing and met him backstage. And he said, "Well, meet me at the bar. We're going to be at the bar at the end of the night in the hotel." And so I did, and I gave him a cassette tape, and and he said that he would check it out and get back in touch with me. And about six months later, I got a phone call. And it was him, and he said, "Um, you want to come to England?" And I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he, said, he said, you want to come work with me? And I went, oh, yeah. He said, well, I've got a deal for you. He said, I'll sign you to my publishing company. I'll bring you to England. I'll give you an apartment. I'll give you a little car. And I'll pay you a small salary against your advances, advance against your royalties. And we'll see if we can't get you right. He cut a couple of your songs and um, go from there. And I went, fantastic. He said, one one problem, though. And I said, what's that? He said, I, I can't bring your whole family over. So it's gonna, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to be a long distance. I mean, they can come over to visit from time to time, but I can't support a whole family. And I said, he said, so, you know, you got to make a decision, either stay there or come here. And he said, and just piece of advice, opportunity door only opens a little time once in a while so this is your opportunity and there was no I, there was no thought you know i mean i'm done i'm gone you know i'm going there regardless and that was that and and the marriage did survive a little bit through it it did it did i've got her to come over there i think twice while i was there and i tried to get her to live there because by that time uriah he recorded a couple of my songs and i really had some cash coming in but she wouldn't move there. She didn't want to be, she didn't want to live in England. She didn't like England. So um, that's when that thing started falling apart. But I stayed there and got to hang out with the biggest and the best. And I was rolling with everybody you could think of. And so I was a 24 year old American songwriter rocking and rolling with all the rock stars. And it was, um, it was a, you know, it was a great time. Wow. Did well, that for so five years. Then you meet uh, Ronnie Van Zant uh, over there. Yep, over there. Um, yep, nineteen seventy-six, um, early seventy-six. They were over there, and and I knew we were all from the same town and everything, so I, I knew where they were staying. So we met. Yep, and we all became really close friends. And Gary, Ronnie, and Alan and I just became like brothers. And um, I went to Nebworth with them. Wow. for that show and then i went to a, a couple other shows with them and then they came home and then i came home for a visit and i hung out with them and we 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 did many things together and and then i had to go back and then they came back and they played the rainbow theater and i went and i uh a lot of the pictures that i have uh i you may have seen is my ronnie holding my daughter and that was at that show and um <laughs> and we just became great friends and and um, Gary and I, to this day, are um, closest brothers. In fact, he he just played on my album, um, and um, and and I don't think Gary Rosington has ever played on anybody else's album, but Leonard Skinner's or or or, or Rosington Collins, yeah. you know. And and so I'm I got kind of um, I'm pretty proud of that. Ricky Medlock played on it too, so I got Skinnered on there, and and that's that's what a long friendship will do. Uh, yeah. for you did you ever but, get um, did you ever get like starstruck like oh holy shit i can't believe that like i'm sitting next to this person kind of thing um only with jack nicholson no oh, wow i met jack nicholson at at neverworth and um and he and and it was an such an odd meeting he was sitting there on a stool and he had a 
he had a sailor hat turned upside down on his head and, and he had his famous sunglasses on and 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 I had just left Skinner's trailer and um I went I walked up to him and I said, Jack? And he went, That's me. And I said, My name's Jack too. And, <laughs> and and I don't know, we just I just was like in awe of the guy and then we hit it off and then yeah, I mean I don't think I um I don't think uh, Yeah. I don't think no, because I've made it a I made it a living. I made my I've made my career of working with stars. Most of my career has been by targeting certain great artists and great stars and going to work with them. And, and you can't be starstruck and work with them. You have to kind of go in there. You have to go in there where you both wear your same pants the same way. And, and um, now, now, you know, I mean, you can show them all the respect in the world and you can, and you can, you can, you can show them how much you believe how great they are, but, but starstruck, I probably would be starstruck if I ever finally get to meet Denzel Washington. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> because that's on my bucket list, and I'm sure when I, when I mean, I I met Muhammad Ali, and I was starstruck that day, that night, and and um, but I recovered. But um, but they got to, you know, it's things like that. I mean, I would never work with Denzel, so because I would never work with him, I probably would not know what to say at, at first, except uh. I think you're great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <You> know? <laughs> wow, that those are some really interesting stories. I mean, all right. Well, and he's he's got more. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't stop there with uh, meeting Leonard Skinner and you know being friendships and moving. So, um, you're from Florida originally, right? That's um, that right. was home for you early on, right? And um, so, do you stay in Florida then when you go back to visit and you? Um... Oh, I live in Nash. I live outside of Nashville. Okay, so um, when you, I, I take it that you got a fifty dollar loan and a one way bus ticket when you went to Nashville. So, uh, was was the one way ticket because it was like ensuring you're not gonna fail and come back or was it because you know that was the money you had at that time was to buy the one-way ticket that was my dad being a jackass that was my dad being a being the, the being the the guy he was and and i'll give you 50 bucks and a one-way ticket and i don't care if you ever come back okay that's another story in itself that's that that story is why I have the songs on my album. That's the, my my life. That's another story that we don't need to get into right now. But we can once the album's released because that's what the album's all about is 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 that. And that's why I've done this album is is for other people that have grown up the way I've grown up. They can say, well, they're not the only ones. But that was a one way ticket up there, and that one actually never worked. I mean, I ended up going up there that time and. And that time, I, I kind of ended up ended up in New York. I mean, I took it out, and then I didn't I, I didn't know anybody, and, and so I ended up going up to New York and staying with Richie for for four, three or four years, and 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 then I um, then um, I came back down to Florida and hooked back up with I, I met Dicky Betts and, and and hooked up with Dicky Betts, and, and Dicky Betts was the one that I was gonna. I didn't know what to do. I just didn't know what to do. I knew I. I didn't know if I should go back to England. I didn't know if I could New York, uh, L.A. I didn't know what to do. And Dickie Beth said, well, you know, songwriters live in Nashville. Hmm. And you need to go to Nashville. <clears throat> and I went, oh, well, I tried that. Well, let's try it again. And this time, I'll help you a little bit. And so there was through that that I started meeting. I met I met the publishers and, the, and I started getting in the world of country music and and um, and that's that that was the period in the 80s when I spent a lot of time here and and got Oak Ridge Boys songs and Greg Allman cut one of my songs. And, um, and it was a good it was a good time. It was a good period. It was a good time for me uh, until the end of the 90, 80s. And um, then I got into a very bad I ended up in a bad publishing deal where I couldn't get out of and 
So I left Nashville, like most people do that have been here for a long time. They'll leave Nashville for a little while. And I went away and came back, you know, but I went away. And while I was away, I ended up signing a contract with Leonard Chess from Chess Records, um, biggest blues record company in the world. And I wrote blues for him for five years. Wow. Um, in fact, they made a movie about him called Cadillac Records. Yeah. I think that's the name of it. And um, so I did that and um, and then came back um, in um, 2000-ish um, and uh, missed all the heyday in the 90s. If I had stayed here in the 90s, I probably would be one of those songwriters that um, made it really, really big and, and, and um, is retired on some mansion farm somewhere. Yeah, because everybody... 89. Because everybody that I was with back then are made it big, but I left just before that happened because I had to, and I missed all that. So, um, but all my friends that stayed here are hugely successful and became hugely successful. So in the nineties, you opened some restaurants and um, you went back to, uh, service with the military as far as supply uh, supply ships like the kitchen teams during the Gulf War is that right? Yeah, I worked on ships. I started working on. I started working in restaurants, and I was a chef. You know, I was a chef growing up, and that's how I made my living. And until I made living off of money, money off of music, and then I went back to that. And I because I, I love I love cooking, and I went back to that. But then I ended up working on tugboats, going to Alaska. And then from there, I just kept wanting, same way I do with my music. I wanted something a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. And um, I went to, um, ended up on um, on on big ships, um, taking, um, taking war supplies over for the Iraqi war. And, uh, and then. Um, you got a bravery right from president bush yeah we got attacked yeah we got attacked one time and we got a medal for bravery and um i had um a um i had met my wife back then um i met her in one of those on a on a on a on a research trip and then we had a a little boy while i was doing that and i just got to the point where i didn't want to be away and i didn't want to that scared me and so um one thing led to another, and we ended up back up here in Nashville in about 2002, uh, um, four, I mean, and um, and then it just kicked back up again. I came back to Nashville and 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 started right back up where I left off. But I had to kind of, I had to kind of learn, relearn a few things because songwriting had changed, the business had changed, and I jumped back in it and um, and I did that pretty much solid until about three years ago. And about three years ago, I, 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 um, well, I met Kevin eight years ago and, but, and, and, and when I met Kevin, um, that was another situation to where I I wanted to meet him. And I I worked with a, a, a member of his band for a long time and we'd write songs and he'd send it to Kevin and Kevin would love them. And Kevin ended up recording a couple. And then I met him. And when I met him, he asked me if I would help him with a song, um, get it on the charts, and I and I told him I could, and I did, not knowing a thing. I what I was doing, I just I pulled in some people I knew who knew what they were doing, and did that, and our relationship just kept getting better and closer and better and closer and better and closer, and um, and now he's got Tales of Yellowstone out. I've got four songs on that and he's doing the tales of yellowstone tour and he's doing four of my songs not that i wrote by myself but that i co-wrote with either him or the band and um and um and that's how that rolls i mean and and then um i keep sending him song every time i send him a song uh, if he likes it he likes it if he doesn't he doesn't but if he likes it we we end up working on it together he's got two songs on my album that are incredible one called one more day and one called 
um, road to hell. And, um, and so, um, that's a friendship that just like all the rest of them that, you know, I think again, it's luck and talent and tenacity. I mean, I, I had to pursue that really hard at first and I did. And now it's just, it's just like a, a brotherhood, you know? So I, I, this brings me to the part I, I wanted to talk some about too, and you referenced it a little earlier, but um, your album Halfway to Hell, um, it has 10 songs, I believe. And as you said, two of them were co-written with Kevin Costner. Um, but this is sort of um, a darker, I, I guess it comes from the darker experiences of um, your childhood some of it um, and some other dark periods of your life. So uh, if you feel comfortable in sharing any of that experience, um, I know you said that uh, you felt like that you were the only one going through it as a child and you hope this record um, will let people that are going through similar things know that they're not alone. Yeah. There's one song on there called beat me again that, um, W. Earl Brown, the actor. I don't know if you know who that is, but um, I don't know if you've been were ever a fan of the TV show called Deadwood. But um, if you were, he played Dan in Deadwood, and he was in something about Mary. He was in Draft Day. He was in The Highwayman. W. Earl Brown's one of the biggest actors in Hollywood, but he's also a great singer and a great songwriter. And we wrote this song. He wanted to help me write a song about my childhood, and uh, we wrote this song called "Beat Me Again," and that's on the album. and And it's basically, uh, basically me just saying, you know, standing over my dad's grave, and 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 pretty much saying, you know, you'll never beat me again. And but and, and uh, Earl is going to come to uh, Nashville on October 10th, and they're going to he's bringing a team with him, and they're going to do a a cinematic video of me singing it at a graveyard. It's a duet. So Brandy's Dan's going to sing it with me and, and we're going to make a video of it in the hopes that again, um, this album's all pretty much all about abuse. And, um, and, um, and so my goal is, is my, I have two goals with this record. And when it, when it's out one that it helps anybody get to a dark moment in their life. And, and number two, it gets some kind of accolade to where I could stand up and say, see, don't stop because I'm 70 years old. And see, you can still get what you want if you don't stop. That's awesome. So in, in these dark periods, did you still feel luck, talent, tenacity? I mean, how do you find the good that, in the dark moments well i'm writing about my past now so those dark moments no there was nothing back now i mean my present is is not dark but my right. i have to dig down you know when i write those songs i have to dive down into it you know like an actor would do if he was going to play a dark dark part i mean I, I i just don't sit I like when i write those songs i really have to dive down and and get down in there with my demons, so to speak, I guess, and 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 wrestle around with them and find something to write about. But and then I pop back out, and the song's written. But um, <clears throat> but back in those days, no, there wasn't no light back in those days. But there is now, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I, when the people listen to this record, they're going to be able to go. If somebody's going through a really dark moment, and they listen to this record or any song in this record, they're going to be able to say, "Ah, oh, man," you know, maybe somebody's getting ready to put a gun to their head, you know, because they can't take no more. And then all of a sudden they hear this song and they go, you know, Hey, whoa, whoa. I'm not, I'm not going through this by myself. I mean, he went through this and look, he's, he's, he's okay. So I think you can, music is a great way to heal people. And what would it mean to you if someone shared that experience that your music did save them in that way? Well, I can tell you already that, I can tell you from experience that I've had that happen with Kevin, when Kevin and when we Kevin recorded a song that we wrote called "Won't Stop Loving You," and then he did a video on it. It's a really, I mean, 
You should check it out. It's called Won't Stop Loving You. And Kevin, Co- if you just Google Kevin Costner and Modern West and Won't Stop Loving You, there's a video that that went. You know, it's got like three quarters of a million views. And when you look at the comments on it, on every other kind of song he does, you'll go, Kevin, you're so beautiful. Kevin, you're so awesome. Kevin, I love you. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. But this song, but this song, because it it was written. We wrote it about. We wrote it about his character in Yellowstone, John Dutton, and how he felt about losing his wife in the first season, and um, and how he really felt underneath all that, underneath all the walls and the bravado. And so we wrote that, and the, and the comments that, I mean, they sent his team sent me a a cutout of the comments one day, and about and it was like I'd never, I'd never been part of any song that ever did that to me. It was like. Oh, thank you for this song. I mean, my father died last week, and this song helped me get through it. Oh, thank you for this song. My brother died a couple months ago, and this song has really, really helped me get through it. Thank you for this song. On and on. I mean, comment after comment like that. And, yeah, that's, that's I think, that's why songwriters write songs. Um, that's what I have to believe. I know that's why I do, and I think that's why most songwriters write songs. I mean, they don't start out writing songs for the money. They write out so- They start writing songs because they want to get to somebody's heart, mm-hmm. whether it's a girl or whether it's whether it's a sad piece of music or whatever it is. They want to reach somebody's heart, and that song sure did, and I hope that my album does too. So do you find that most of the songs over your career have been inspired by um, – a message or a, a an experience you were going through the good ones have hmm. okay yeah the ones that mean something i mean of course we all write songs from in the commercial world that are light and airy and you know aren't written to be deep and and dark but what i'm writing now everything i'm writing now everything i'm writing now is is definitely definitely from a real place and you know whether it's whether it's a dark place or whether it's um a semi-dark place <laughs> it's coming from a real place so do you think that um difficulty in in the childhood uh, you know with being in the abusive situation did that contribute to tenacity do you think yeah Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, because you have to understand, I mean, my father beat it in my head that I was no good. I could never accomplish nothing. I couldn't sing. And, you know, it was, I only started really singing, really, really singing again three years ago. I mean, and for, so so all my life, I kept it in my head that I can't sing. I mean, Richie Havens wanted me to sing my whole career, but I didn't listen to him. If I had listened to him, this might have happened earlier, but I didn't listen to him. But it's only been in the last three years that I finally got away from that and and quit listening to that voice in my head telling me that I was, you know, piece yeah. of nothing. Right. And so, of course, I mean, of course, somebody asked me in another interview, is, is this you sticking up your finger to the world and saying, take that? And it's not, but it is to my dad and mom. So I think it's to them, but not to the world. I I got nothing to, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I don't have nothing against the world. I want to show the world that you can just keep believing, keep believing, you know? I mean, keep believing. Don't stop believing in whatever you're dreaming you'll get. Right. If you don't stop, once you stop believing, you won't get it. In any case, I mean, if somebody wants to be the greatest doctor in the world, well, as long as he keeps believing he can, he will be, or she will be. It's when you stop believing it. The day you stop believing that you can do it is the day you stop doing it. Right. Yeah. Are you going to be doing, are you going to be touring and all that stuff or any? I hope I get to do a little bit. The problem with that is going to be is that because this album is so full of instruments, it's going to be hard to, you know, when people hear this record, they're going to want to hear the whole thing. And and it's going to be hard where I like to just go out and play with my guitar. So we'll have to figure out. We'll have to figure out some way of 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 doing. Somebody's start. So there has been some talk. I'm writing a book too, okay. and so somebody's talking to me about maybe we can do this thing where 
we do this thing where I, I got my book, the, the, the songs and a guitar and, and tell stories like I'm telling you and, and yeah. then talk about this song here came from that and kind of do a stripped version of it where we can say it's a stripped version of it, but there's a reason why it's stripped down because I'm going to be telling you stories about from, that came from the book. So if we can do it that way, we could probably make some dates work like that. That sounds pretty interesting. If you are going to do that, I hope that you'll... Uh... Let us know because I'd really like to see see that. Mm. Well, you know, um, have you guys heard anything off the record? Uh, I have not um, yet. Cat Cat probably has. I, I I was listening to um well so I listened to a wonderful world um because we only had a couple of of the clips that that were sent but um so I watched that video and I I listened to that version uh, of our wonderful world and um. So I, I wasn't able to hear, uh, you know, the rest of the tracks. I definitely want to hear now. Uh, well, I know you got, you know, uh, other things that you're going to be doing. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll uh, kind of wind this down. But we appreciate you coming, okay. coming to talk to us and uh, sharing your stories. You've had a really interesting path to get where you are. And... Uh, Seems like you know a lot of people, <laughs> and uh, I gotta say I'm a little jealous. <laughs> uh, sometimes it, sometimes it's, sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's, uh, it can be, uh, it can be hard too on the heart. Sometimes you can know a lot of people, and then sometimes because you can't get in touch with them, it can be hard on the heart. So it's good sometimes, and sometimes it's a curse. I hear you. Yeah. Cat, uh, you got anything else? Uh, well, I just wanted to ask if there's, um, you know, any any upcoming projects that you uh, want to share, or is there anything besides meeting Denzel Washington on your bucket <laughs> list that you'd like to tell us about in closing? Well, I'm working with, um, I'm writing and working with. Uh, uh, an artist, her name is Lisa Stewart. She was, uh, she had a big career back in the nineties and then she became an actress and then she became this and she's done a whole bunch, but now she wants to get back to doing, she wants to do a, a real album. She wants to, she wants to do something that's from the heart, like what I do. And so we started writing and hopefully I can, um, write with her an album and maybe even help her produce it and, um, doing that. And I'm also, um, and I'm also writing with a couple of guys from Lucas Nelson, a bass player from Lucas Nelson's band on Monday. And I'm working with Robert Rains from the, um, he's doing a podcast of the Gangster Museum. He's doing this great podcast and I got the music in that. And I'm hoping to do a, a documentary on Carl Dunn, the famous photographer. So I've got a lot of things in the works. <laughs> and, Slow um, down, dude. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> kind of cool i think you know yeah for sure but um the whole album i've had people i've had people tell me that i've had people tell me that that most people have told me there are moments it's hard to get through but they can't stop listening to it because the production the adam's production that's another thing adam box who produced the thing he's a drummer for brothers osborne and my god right. him and i are a great team he he produced this thing and and um he produced this thing and it's just uh oh uh, well you'll hear it yes we will you need any music for your plays let me know oh man that'd be uh, awesome well, <laughs> that would be it would be an honor of course that's what i that's what that's the next step the next step for me is the next step for me is, is is scoring a movie or scoring a play or scoring something and i'm about i'm getting close i'm working with a guy by the name of carl ridland who worked with hans zimmer for the last 20 years i'm working with a couple other people in the hopes that john hardy over in wales and i'm hoping that 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 some of this is going to finally uh, before it's all over with somebody lets me help score a movie or or <laughs> or something like that or a tv show or a play or something awesome well, I mean, I'm going to tag Denzel Washington in this episode. <laughs> you know, I love him as well. So, uh, you know, let's let's get Denzel out there and say we want, we want you to be a part of something with him. 
Well, I don't think that would be, you know, <clears throat> I really honestly see it's not hard to do things like that once you know somebody knows what. See, these people aren't that hard to talk into doing things once they hear it. It's it's getting the trick is is getting the getting the getting to them and saying, hey, listen to this. Yeah. When you like have this be part of something that you're doing and they, you know, but it's it's because they get hit from so many sides. Yeah, yeah. There so many people. They have so many. Um, what's the word? They have so many gatekeepers that that you know it's really hard getting to them. I mean, uh, Keno Reeves. Yeah. Um, uh, Keno Reeves is is supposed to be really easy to get to, and he loves this kind of stuff. I have yet to get to them, so. We'll see. You know, I mean, the, the world is our pearl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I agree with you on this luck, uh, talent, tenacity. Uh, I I think those equal parts are what get you and keep you moving forward. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna employ those, and we're gonna. This has just been a great episode. It's meant a lot to me to hear the story. Um, you're very inspiring and motivating, and I know that um, this is going to impact a lot of people. And I can't wait to to listen to the, your um, Halfway to Hell project. And thanks for having me. I look forward. Hope we get to do this again. All right, Jack. Oh, definitely. We, we appreciate Thank you your so time. much. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Thank y'all. Take care. Bye bye. All right. And on that note, we will end this podcast. Thank you. Thank you again to Jack for coming by and talking to us and uh, you know sharing all those stories with us certainly an interesting interesting guy for sure as always if you have any questions concerns or comments you can send those to cat at i write please at outlook.com or you can write to me at backstory sessions at gmail.com or matt at level 11 ventures.com Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.